It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Still having a look at slightly favors the right footer here, but Griffiths... Having got the goal, goes again! Oh! Quinkmarder drags it down now. Long way out. Oh, what a goal! What a goal! Fletcher! It's Lucius McCulloch. Saved it in! Barry Ferguson! Don't miss again! It's there! Oh, and here comes up. Chance goal! Right, we've interviewed uh, Mr Gary Caldwell for the Hand and Roar about the time we interviewed his brother Stephen all the way from Toronto, Canada. How are you, Stephen? I'm good, Andrew. How are you doing? Yes, doing fine, strange times, but things like this make it a wee bit easier. Um, good to get a word with you about your Scotland caps. Not as many as Gary, but we'll come to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, just run, run, run past us then how things are where you're based at the moment. Uh, I'm in Toronto, Canada. I came here in 2013 to play for Toronto FC in the MLS, um, and uh, you know it's now my home. I love it here, and and we're we're pretty much the same as the UK. I, obviously, our numbers have not quite been as as severe, um, fortunately, but we are in lockdown. You know, there's there's nothing really open. Uh, there's there's um, there's like social distancing, physical distancing, all the other kind of things, but. The weather's getting good, so hopefully we're starting to loosen up a little bit with a few uh, a few of the restrictions. I think we go to stage two maybe on Friday, so aye, it's, it's getting better, but it's it's still been tough. I think it's been tough for everybody throughout the world. Oh, absolutely. Um, it wasn't until I did my research on you yesterday that I discovered you're the assistant coach at, at Canada. How did that come about? Uh, yeah, I, I really enjoy the role. It came about. I um, the 2019 Gold Cup, Canada were playing in it. Uh, I, I knew John Herdman. John Herdman's the head coach of Canadian men's national team, and I knew John uh, a little bit. He's a guy for the the northeast England actually, and um, so I, I knew him just for bumping into him and seeing him at a few different things. But we never really had a very close relationship, uh, you could say. And then I did the 2019 Gold Cup and. Um, for TSN, and so I, you know, I'd speak to John quite regularly before and after broadcasts, 
and then we we sort of connected and he asked me what my ambitions were in the, the coaching ranks and um you know we had a good chat and it, it transpired that he wanted to offer me a role uh, as an assistant coach he had this kind of uh, what, what's the word, like a sort of traveling coach, you know, so he had like a a coach who would come in every now and again and he would he, he would help out. And, and so I went on that premise for the first camp, September 2019, we played Cuba and I enjoyed it. We worked well together. I felt like I fitted well in the team and John seemed to enjoy it as well. So he kept asking me back. And so, you know, here we are, we we're heading towards a camp. March this year, obviously, it got cancelled. Uh, we're going to play Trinidad and Tobago a couple of times, and it never happened. But yeah, it seems like seems like we, we enjoy working with each other. It's still pretty much a, a temporary basis, but I'm loving it, and I expect to be involved for the for the next few years, hopefully. Scott Arfield is involved with the Canadian national team. I think he had pledged allegiance to them before you became involved. Is is that correct? You you would have had yes. nothing to do with with Arfield, yeah? No, nothing. Is, is he is he someone, arguably now, but over the over the the last decade, you would have expected to have seen involved in the Scotland squads? Yeah, he certainly would have got Scotland caps, no doubt about it. If if he hadn't placed his allegiance to Canada, uh, I think that uh, this is a key for us with Canada that we we try and get a lot of dual nationalities at the right time, where they're they're sort of at a crossroads and they've. They've not really been selected by by one of their other countries that they're eligible for. So uh, Scott was a good example of that. I, I don't know who gave Scott his first cap. I don't think it was John. It certainly wasn't a John. It was it was probably it could have been Benito Floro who was before that or or Octavio Zambrano um, who preceded John. And um, and yeah, he chose Canada. It's great for us. We're absolutely delighted. He's, he captains us. He's very important, his experience, his quality, everything that he brings is, is really vital for us. But I think it's Scotland's loss. I think he was a guy that, you know, from his time at Burnley and how his career developed, uh, obviously at Rangers now, would definitely would have got Scotland caps. Very smart player, can play three or four positions as a good guy, good leader, hard worker. So many attributes that I think would, would make him uh, an important player for Scotland. And, and thankfully for me, it's, it's for Canada at the moment. Probably a pain for Scott Arfield um, that central midfield is Scotland's most uh, competitive position at the moment. Yeah, definitely. I, I, you know, the competition is there and whether he would, he would kind of start for Scotland, it would be tough because there's a lot of competition to, to, to get in that starting 11. But I, def, I do think he would get caps. You know, he's, uh, he's a guy I've been very impressed with. I actually never really knew Scott very well until I worked with him. Uh, which was weird because you know we have we have a lot of kind of things in, in connection. We had we had sort of spoke a little bit the odd the odd time, but um, I've got to know him really well, um, and I'm I'm enjoying his company, and I, I you know I love working with him. He's he's a a very good player, very well respected within the squad, and uh, has a lot to give us in the the coming years as we try and qualify for the World Cup for the first time since 1986. I, I, I take it you. Despite your role with Canada, you take a keen interest still in the Scottish national team. Um, yeah. Let me let me put you on the spot with something. Um, Alfonso Davies, um, do you think he is already um, at the level that Andy Robertson has reached or, and could go further? Because he is on the lips of quite a lot of people right now um, throughout European football. 
Yeah, I, I don't think he's at the level of Andy Robertson. I think Andy Robertson has done incredibly well. I'm, I'm so impressed with the way that he goes about his business, the uh, the player that he is, the, the attitude that he has, the, the, the leadership that he's starting to show. Obviously, he's captain in Scotland, and I'm seeing some great leadership from him with the Liverpool team as well. I see him being one of their leaders as, as uh, Jordan Henderson and, and, and James Milner start to get to the latter stages of his career. Um, but when I look at Alfonso, the potential that, that he has is is probably greater than, than Andy's, no disrespect to him. But, uh, you know, when you, when you see Andrew Robertson, what he's achieved, I think he's squeezing everything out of his career. He's, 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 he's you know, preparing himself properly and he's, he's very confident. He's playing a great team. He knows what he's good at. Uh, and his feet are on the ground. That's his major strength for me. Well, Alfonso's showing these signs. He's still only 20 years old, but the the athleticism this guy's got is, like, scary. He's, he's, he's like, head and shoulders above anybody I've ever seen. He's starting to learn the game. He's picking it up really quickly because he's a converted left-back. He was, like, a left midfielder before uh, before this, and, and I think for Canada, he'll play in a number of different positions, but when you look at the progression he's made so far with Bayern Munich and you think where he could be at sort of 24-25, it's quite scary to think he could be head and shoulders above any other left-back in the world by then. Interesting. OK, let's move on to your own career then. Um, you were born in 1980, so I'm interested to know what your earliest memories of, of Scotland are. Would it be the 86 World Cup, maybe Italia 90? Take us back to, to that time. Yeah, 86 World Cup, I can remember. We were in, I think we were in Corfu. We were in one of the Greek islands, but we'd, we'd go there quite often, or to Spain. We were on holiday. Um, I can remember the Uruguay game. I can remember the goals, but, you know, you think, can I actually remember the goals, or do I just remember, like, watching them back? Mm-hmm. But I can remember the Uruguay game. It was really late at night. We were, um, we were, Wanting to find a bar, my, my dad, his mate, you know, there was another family on holiday with us and, and uh, me and Gary and, and, and Christopher, uh, my uncle Alan's uh, son, the five years were trying to find a bar to watch the, the game because it was a game that we could obviously get through at the knockout stages and I can remember that, I can't remember anything about the game, you know, obviously, <laughs> again, history, I remember what happened, it was a yeah. nice game, we should have got a goal, you know, we, we couldn't get that breakthrough, it was nil no. But I can remember that experience and, and, you know, maybe that was the start of the disappointment <laughs> that comes for being a Scotland fan, unfortunately. But uh, I can remember being a bit, a bit down. I was probably five or six, so we've not made it through again. Italian 90 is, uh, is, you know, like quite... I can think of that clearly, you know, like I was sitting there watching the games and the disappointment of the Costa Rica game and then your euphoria of Sweden and Again, the hanging on against Brazil, think we were going to get there and, and not getting there. But yeah, by that point, I kind of knew the players in and out. I was like nine or ten years old by this this stage, and uh, you know, I was um, I was like right into that one, um, and and it was a very important World Cup uh, for me. But but probably in fairness, just before USA '94 was like my World Cup, where I kind of watched every minute of every game. So. For for ninety, I was I was watching Scotland, and I can remember bits of the World Cup, but but um, just a wee bit young to kind of watch every single minute, every single game. You you have been able to 
have that passion along with appreciation then uh, when it came to Euro 96, I would imagine. Yeah, Euro 96 was, was absolutely incredible. That was, like I said, 94, I, I, you know, I was waking it up, trying to stay up every single night. I'd, I'd uh, wake up like three in the morning, hear that uh, beep, you know, when your channel finished and, uh, back <laughs> in the day. <laughs> so I can remember things like that because the games were late. Um, and then Euro 96 was just so special. It was it was absolutely incredible to be to be in the UK when that was going on. It was it was phenomenal, and uh, and and we had a great team, didn't we? We were we were pretty competitive. We were in a tough group. It was tougher in the Euros back in the days. There wasn't so many teams in the competition, so uh, you know we were we were unlucky yet again. But we had we had some team then in '96. We were we were uh, very competitive. So f- fair to say then that you were a, a keen follower of the the national team growing up. Yeah, absolutely. I I loved uh, watching Scotland play. It was it was everything to me. It was uh, you know some people say, especially a lot of English guys actually. A lot of friends of mine they support their, their team. You know they don't you know scousers and Geordies and people like that. They don't have a great affinity to the English men's national team, which is kind of weird um, because for me Scotland was always like the top, you know, and no matter who your, your club was, to me it was always about Scotland and I can remember going to Hamden for a, an Argentina game, we took a big bus through and I think we hoped Maradona was playing, I don't think he played, maybe it was around about 90, 90-ish and um, and I remember that and I obviously remember my hero Kenny Douglas's goals for Scotland, watching them and and the shots and you know everything that came along with the national team was 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 big for me and, and my family and you know when when uh, the '98 World Cup came around we we were playing for the youth teams by that point we were sort of 18 17 18 and so we had a collection of Scotland strips and there's a really brilliant picture of the whole family we had friends around and my grandpa and my aunt my mum my dad and everyone was on a Scotland strip that Gary and I had got from from a youth international game that we had collected you know so it's a pretty cool picture and and it was another great experience France 98 but yeah I, I loved watching Scotland and you know it was always a pinnacle for me to to hopefully play for Scotland uh, when I became a professional so by, by the time 98 rolls around then you just mentioned you were involved in the youth teams would that have been the, the 21s or before that before that, uh, you know, I, I played Scotland schoolboys. I, I was fortunate enough to captain that team. That was great. And not quite the national team, but obviously you feel like you're a national team player by that point. And then naturally I went into the U16 uh, set up with the SFA, which was uh, which was amazing. Great experience. We had, we had some talented players actually in that age group. We, we went to Poland. I think we did well. Maybe won a tournament in Poland. And we went to Holland, we, we beat the Dutch 1-0, Jamie Smith scored ex-Celtic, oh, yeah. uh, I think yeah. it's over here in the US these days uh, Colorado, uh, Jamie scored Jamie was a great player and uh, we defended for the rest of the game, we beat them 1-0 <laughs> and I remember Koeman was like one of their assistants because you know the Dutch are brilliant at bringing their old guys back getting them through their badges and you know, taking them through the system kind of thing and, and Ronald Koeman who's now the, the coach of course was the uh, was the assistant at that U16 side and we were getting pictures with Ronald Koeman and great experience. So, yeah, I, I loved it. I, pl- I played all the way through. I played 16. I don't know if we played a lot of games at 17. Maybe it was then, then eventually just kind of transitioned into 21s. But it was, uh, it was again, it was the, the best times of your life to go away with Scotland and hear that anthem and, and represent your country. 
Was it was that a big deal collectively for for everyone rather than than just on an, an individual basis as well? Do, do you think that everyone felt the the same pride as, as you did playing for the youth teams and the under twenty ones? Yeah, definitely. That that's what we uh, you know we 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 worked on that kind of stuff. You know, we were we were all about the kind of spirit and the togetherness and obviously we had quality, but you know it was it was that pride and and wearing your national team jersey. I I felt like everyone. Everyone had that. You didn't want to miss a, a a trip, a camp. You know, you wanted to be there. You wanted to be part of it. And um, and we were a close knit group because we had came through since I don't know, thirteen, fourteen. The same sort of twenty, twenty five players were were going around the, the same circle. So we were, we were really close. Peter McDonald, uh, Russell Anderson. When I forget some names, maybe no. I've, I've, I've taken a note of a few here. Would it, would it be right yeah. in saying that Stephen Thompson, uh, Scott Severin, Gavin Ray were there all around, around the same time as you? Sevy was a good mate of mine. Sevy and I were, were, were really close. We came from the same area, actually. Some of my best pals were really good pals with Sevy. So, Sevy, I think Sevy was a year older than me. So, I never played with Sevy that much when I was younger. Gav, I started to get to know as, as I became, you know, Older again. Um, try to think who Michael Stewart was was my age. You know he was running about the, the the setups then, of course. Um, yeah, like all the guys were. We were all we were all close. You know we came through together. We were from the same same sort of backgrounds and that, and we were uh, we were always pushing each other on to make each other better competitively. But you know in a real kind of friendly way that we were uh, we were tight for sure. Did you feel then, considering you were coming through at Newcastle and you were heavily involved in the Scottish youth setups, that you had a real chance of going on and playing for Scotland consistently? Uh, I hope so. Uh, I never really, you know, you never really expected too much, but it was certainly an aim of mine, and it wasn't like a pipe dream. I felt very confident that I could achieve it. Um, but yeah, I never took it for granted. No way, you know. I was always, uh, I was always trying to just make sure I respected the different levels and the steps, and and showed that I was good. I mean, I was, I was captain in some of the teams as well, so I, I knew I was kind of an important player. But like I said, we were all, we were all pretty good. We all had great qualities, and we all had the same dreams. So, you know, you went away with Scotland, you were proud to be part of it, but then you went back to your club to prove that you could, um, you could play. You know, you could break in your first team because you knew if you didn't get anywhere near your club first team, then it's going to be hard to get in the national caps. You know, so um, so that was certainly the focus. And for me, it was tough because I was, you know, I was in England. I was I was at a pretty high level. I was at a club where they could sign four, five, six million quid centre halves, and I was always, you know, fighting that battle to try and break into my first team so that I knew that, you know, I knew that if I played regularly for Newcastle. In the Premier League, inevitably, I was going to play for Scotland. Uh, so, so really, the focus was on trying to get in there, to, and the rest would would just kind of follow. Yeah, to build the foundations, really. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. That that was the uh, that was your bread and butter, your your club football, and and then you know, fingers crossed, as long as you were a decent guy, you were a good team player, the opportunities would come at international level. Your your debut came against Poland in a friendly away from home in 2001 off the bench for Charlie Miller um, with about yeah. half an hour to go. Now, how did your call come about? Uh, that would that would have been under Craig Brown. Yeah, it was it was a great story because 
I was there with the 21s. I don't even know if I'd played for Newcastle by that point, maybe one or two appearances. But I was um, I was not an experienced club player for sure. And I was with the 21s, you know, back back then. I think you still do it where you travel with the, the team and you play the Tuesday and then the Wednesday night, you know, the kind of guys play, the, the first team play. So, you know, I was on that trip and preparing for the 21s game. And I think maybe the the Sunday or the Monday night, whenever we got there, there had been a couple of call-offs and I got the message that I was to go to the, the first team hotel, which was amazing. I was, you know, really excited and looking forward to the opportunity. A bit a bit uh, anxious and a bit mm-hmm. overawed, I guess, by some of the players in there because I was just a kid and they were all like, you know, some of my heroes were in that changing room. So um, I got there, they made me feel very welcome. I thought, great experience, I'll enjoy it, I'll learn, I'll listen, I'll watch. And, you know, I never expected to get on the field. I never. Ex- I don't even think know if I expected to be on the bench. Like, was everybody on the bench? I don't know. But anyway, you know, I, I, there was no expectations about getting a first cap. And all of a sudden, within two days, you know, it gets to the the, the second half, and, and Craig's saying, "Right, get ready, you're going on." And I was just ecstatic, really, that that I was going to get that first cap. That you know, one of my my goals and dreams was going to come true that night in Poland and I loved that I can't remember a whole lot about the game I think I went on to mark a I sort of went on to midfield to mark a get this big guy who was dominating as a decent player and Craig said just get near him, stop him from playing, getting the ball just play simple you know I, I wouldn't say I had tons of touches it was more like a kind of man-martin type job but again delighted to have got that cap and to, to get on the road to what I hoped was going to be many many more a, a decent debut because, although it's, I, I wouldn't call it a baptism of fire, it's not like you've been given your chance against a so-called Diddy Nation in Poland, they're yeah. a decent team. Yeah, they were, they were decent. Yeah. We, we, we drew that day, one that night, one, one each, I think. But um, mm. yeah, they were they were good. They were a good team and um, it was, you know, it, it was a friendly, but it didn't feel like a friendly, you know, it was good crowd and good atmosphere and, and like I said I did not have first team experience so for me it was it was like a challenge you know so I went out there and I, I tried to enjoy it and do my best and I think I had a decent game I got some good reports in the papers the next few days Craig was happy with me and uh, I felt like okay here we go this is the start of good things to come. Were there any other youngsters in the squad at that point you were able to align yourself with? Uh, well, Kenny, I knew pretty well. I think Kenny and I made our 21s debuts. Kenny Miller, sorry. We made our 21s debuts together and I think we made our debut that night together as well in Poland. So, you know, that was nice having Kenny there with me as well. Um, Did you know him was, from way back, from, from Hutchie as well? Again, Kenny was a year older than me, so I never knew him that well because, uh, you know, he, he was playing a year above, but my pals were in the same team as I'm at Hutchie, you know, I, I knew all of them, I'd, I'd, I'd kind of got to know him better with the 21s and then, you know, he's making his debut with Scotland with me and, and obviously we're, we're very good friends to this day, my, my brother and Kenny are extremely close and, and Kenny's now assisting one of my best friends in football, Carol Robinson, Welsh international out in Australia, so, so we're still really connected, Kenny and I, and, uh, and, and our careers have, have took a similar path with internationals in terms of when we when we got our debuts and that. So uh, it was great to have him there. Andy McLaren, I think I roomed with Andy McLaren. Um, 
Uh, who else was in? That must have Charlie been a laugh. Hepco. Yeah, it was a laugh. Charlie was, <laughs> Charlie was brilliant. Charlie Miller, what a boy! And, and I looked up to Charlie so much when Charlie broke into the scene with Rangers. He was, he was one of my favourite players. I was probably about fourteen at the time. I was at Rangers. I trained with Rangers and that, and I thought Charlie was phenomenal. So to kind of spend time with him, Tommy Boyd. Um, I'll be forgetting some of the guys that were there, but real. Legends of Scottish football and heroes yeah. of mine, and to spend time with them, eat, eat the dinner with them, train with them, and that was was incredible. Andy McLaren and and Charlie Miller are, are quite close, aren't they? They're they're quite a pairing, if if I'm saying that correctly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's some great laughs. Yeah, Charlie's just keeps everything going, but Andy was great as well. I the uh, the atmosphere was brilliant. Craig was great at that. He's a terrific man manager, and Craig allowed everyone just to be themselves and. Uh, there was a real kind of team spirit there with that that group. I felt I thought it was uh, with there was a brilliant culture, as we say these days. We call it culture, you know, but I think we called it kind of team spirit back then. And it was uh, it was second to none. And I, I think Craig deserves most of the credit for that. He had some brilliant assistants, you know. He had Alec Miller at times. He had uh, Archie Knox, guys that I've got so much respect for. But but they always had great support. But Craig was a man who really. Uh, instilled that team spirit and, and togetherness amongst the players. Craig resigned after the failure to qualify for two thousand and two World Cup. Is it a regret you didn't get to play more for Scotland under him? Yeah, it was because I, I think he liked me as a player as well, and I think he was just kind of waiting on me developing, and I think he would have pushed me on for sure. So I was disappointed when he left. I, I, he was a brilliant manager. Uh, in some ways underrated I guess you know he was really thorough for the times I remember sitting in that in Poland in that team hotel the night before the game and I'm going through every player of the Polish national team it seems it seems simple now because the analysis we go through before every game is another level but back then the stuff that Craig Brown was doing was cutting edge to me I hadn't seen that before I hadn't seen that level of analysis in depth how he was going into players, how they were going to play, the video and that. I was I was blown away at the time. And uh, maybe it shows a little bit my naivety, but I thought Craig was a, a terrific manager and I wished I got the chance to work with him more. Davy Weir was uh, around the squad at that point. Um, as a centre-half yourself, was it easy to see that David Weir was going to have a very successful career? Yeah, Davey's a great guy. Davey's just a, you know, a brilliant human being, a, a man who's obviously uh, cares about everybody and, and, and leads uh, by example. He's not a big shouter, Davey, but he's a guy who everyone respects and uh, he, he's a terrific player. He reads the game well and, and again, just he sort of plays like his personality for me. He just kind of, he's there and he does his job and he goes unnoticed in many ways, but He's a brilliant, brilliant player. So uh, yeah, I could see that, and uh, you know, I played against Davy throughout the years when he was at Everton, and and you know, I got to go to international caps with him and and spend time with him, and uh, he's a guy that I've got a lot of admiration for. Your your first start was at home to the Republic of Ireland, and um, I think this was around the time where Bertie Volts was kind of testing the waters, giving a lot of people an opportunity. Did you feel you you'd earned that chance to to show what you could do? Um, yes, I think that I can't remember where I was in my club career, but I, I think that um, I deserved a chance to, to show that I could be that guy. I, I think, like I said, the challenges for me was like staying in the Newcastle team. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was 
that was always uh, was an issue. I think it probably cost me a lot of caps if I maybe went kind of down a level or whatever and 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 played more regularly. I might have got more caps, but you know I was at one of the biggest clubs in Britain at the time, and I, I wanted to forge a career there, and I, you know I gave it as long as I possibly could to do that before I moved on. So at that point, I was kind of in and out and and getting the odd chance, but. In fairness to the managers, the Betty Volks, who was giving me the chances, they, they probably looked at my 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 club consistency and felt maybe there was other people who deserved it before me. But but that was tough because I think talent wise I was as good as, as some of the other guys, and I think that um, if I'd been playing regularly somewhere else, I would have got more caps. As as Hamden's atmosphere, even for a friendly. Um, really quite difficult to deal with for someone who's just making their way into the team? Uh, no, I never had a problem dealing with, like, you know, atmospheres or pressure or stuff like that. It was just something that, that just came naturally to me. So it was no... It never affected my performance. Like, you know, I had plenty of bad games, as I'm sure you could attest to, but it was never because of the, the, the occasion or the atmosphere or anything like that. It was just, it was just something that, I, you know, I, I kind of coped with um, but, but it's a special place to play I, I played at Hamden with Scotland schoolboys against Switzerland when I was 15 so I'd been there I'd played there before you know and uh, even though the game was very different um, I never felt I felt you know pride and, and uh, excitement about it rather than uh, anxiety so um, the game went terribly well we you know we played horrible and I, I never had a good game myself you know we, we were poor so that was disappointing but it was nothing to do with the kind of expectation is there maybe a, a looking looking back a sense that Bertie Volk's um sort of wheeling you know, wheel of fortune style um of selection at times do you think that that played against Scotland because there's a lot of people that suggest that for an international team to be successful and to perform there needs to be a sort of club feel Whereas the same players are are playing most of the time together and they're familiar, rather than different faces being called up and picked all the time. I think for a nation of our size and maybe our our quality, no disrespect, I think there needs to be that club atmosphere for sure and continuity. And uh, you know, we do the same with Canada. We we try and be consistent with selection we try and be consistent with messaging with style of play because you're trying to have the guys excited to come back you know you're trying to have people uh you know turn up every single camp even if they play in europe and they're jumping on a plane 10 hours for us so with scotland that i think it's similar i think what you should always try and create is that that sort of nucleus that squad that that probably predominant 11 that, that plays more often than not and then just really work tirelessly with that group um, and with Bertie he was trying to find that I think in fairness people were letting him down because he was given chances and it was your chance to grab the shirt and, and make it your own and nobody was doing that no like there's many factors that go into that it's not just the, the individual who, who plays in that position part of it was maybe Bertie's messaging and Bertie's tactics and, and everything that came with it but I don't think he wanted to chop and change as much as he did. I think that he just was struggling to find the right team, the right formation, the right way to play for that that generation of player, and it, and it never worked for him, of course. Was it 
it was the atmosphere and the the happiness around the squad okay in general when Bertie Volks was there? It was okay, I think, when you're losing and stuff and, and you know, things aren't going well, they, you know, the confidence is done and you'll get people who who might not turn up, you know, have a little bit of an ego and they, they, they want to get that right at their club rather than come to international. So I, I wouldn't say it was brilliant. It was, like I said, different for that first cap of mine, that, that experienced squad that I walked into that was successful players and, and guys who... Uh, guys who you know had, had experienced some great times with the Scottish national team now we get into that kind of Bertie generation where unfortunately we're moving away from guys who could remember what it was like to to be at Euro 96 or France 98 you know so it was it was definitely changing it was it was it was losing a little bit of its uh a little bit of quality, but a little bit of confidence as well, and um, and it was harder to be an international player then than it was to step into that Craig Brown squad in, in the early two thousands. Is that mostly a managerial responsibility, um, or how much do the players have to pull their socks up on on the park and deal with it? Well, the one thing I'll say about an international manager is he can only pick guys that are from that country, so. You know, his hands are tied. Uh, a club manager, I'll say, after a couple of years, if they don't, if things aren't coming together and they're not in his identity, then he's making mistakes. Um, but with international management, you've only got what you've got. Now, there's there's personalities that fit. There's, there's the right people for the right group of players that can get the best out of them. And I don't think Bertie got the best out of their players. But I also don't think that there was a great deal of talent there, including myself in that. Um, and, and we never really had... We weren't quite at the point yet where we had that with one or two that were like special, that, that, that everybody needs, like a, you know, a Scotland, a Serbia, a Wales, or whoever, these kind of nations. We, we need like one or two that are like a bit different. And I think that uh, with Bertie, he never quite had that. He had, he had Fletch, he had Faddy, who I, I thought were pretty special, but they were still pretty young then as well, and they were they had a bit more to develop before they were kind of the finished article. And um, and and Bertie ultimately found it difficult to to understand us. He's he's a German guy, you know, so he's he's he found it hard to kind of understand what made us tick. I think, and uh, and I I really don't mean that disrespectfully, but but that to me was his biggest error, where he just never quite. Um, he never quite got into the, the psyche or the, the mentality of Scotland as a nation, of us as a group of players. And, and I think that was his biggest downfall. Quite found it quite difficult to connect or click with the people that he was selecting, really. Yeah, I think he found it difficult to connect, for sure. I think he, he was he was tinkering, like you said, to try and find the right, the right guys, the right shape, mm-hmm. the right way of playing. And I think he found it difficult, uh, you know, I think we won the German, you know, and, and, and he was, and, and that was the kind of players that he had worked with before. And I, I think that, uh, how do I say it? He, he couldn't quite get his point. I mean, he had great attributes, Bertie, but he couldn't quite get them across because he never really knew how to deliver that. And, and that's the hardest thing as a coach, you know. You, you, you sort of get, so you, you'll go through a plan of action and a way of playing and, you know, a style of play, and, and you analyse it with your coach's 
you know, to the nth degree. And then you get like four days to deliver that to a group of players or, you know, three meetings and two training sessions. And so you've got to get to the point really quickly and as succinctly as possible to get that message over. And and I think for Bertie, he never quite cracked that. He never quite got the message over to us. Maybe it was our ability to, to learn it quickly, but really, again, that, that's not our problem. The coach's issue is that he needs to get that across clearly to that group of players so they know what he wants. And I think with Bertie, that, that was missing too many times. OK. Well, under Bertie, um, Scotland beat Trinidad and Tobago quite comfortably and you replaced your brother coming off the, the best. That's, that's quite a... A strange and, and unique thing. Yeah, it was. It was. We were devastated because we thought that might be the game that we'd play together, and we were so excited for it. And you know, I'm sitting there on the bench, guys is on the field, and Betty tells me, you know, get ready, you're going on. I was ecstatic. Like, Here we go. This is going to be it. And then he puts the number up, and it's my brother coming off for me. So it was. It was a weird moment. Although uh, back then we just we both just wanted to play. So it was nice to get on the field for me. But um, yeah gutted that it was for somebody else and that Gary and I were lining up <laughs> together. He scored his first goal for Scotland in that game, I believe. I can't remember it, to be honest, but uh, I can remember the day. It was a nice day. It was a, I'm sure it was June, the end of May, Easter Road, you know, but I can't remember his goal. Uh, but, yeah, I'm sure it was <laughs> a, luck, a lucky one as always. <laughs> he, he was getting capped quite regularly at this point when he was coming through at Hibs. Um, more than more involvement than you. Is that something that you, you spoke about together? Uh, not really. You know, like, obviously I was proud of my brother getting getting on and doing really well. Um, I, I remember clearly his first game for Scotland was, was obviously in Paris uh, against France and we, we couldn't get the game in Newcastle. So Tommy Craig uh, was our coach who was obviously involved with Scotland setups through the years and Celtic, Newcastle. Hibs at some point and, and Tommy said why don't we drive to my place in Glasgow and watch the game because we were so excited that Gary was playing that you know Tommy would go home often his family were in were in Bodwell and so Brian Kerr and I got in the car and, and, and drove to Tommy's and uh, watched the game Tommy made us some dinner and we watched the game and you know I was so proud of that night he was playing against some of the best players in the world Scotland lost 5-0 I believe but Gary actually did really well, and, and that was the start of things for him. And uh, he had some great games in a Scotland shirt. Gary, he was um, he was he was a brilliant international player. But his club football was helping that. You know, he went on loan to Hibs and then permanently, and and so you know playing regularly in the the eye of of the coach and, and sort of in his his home country, I think was important to that. But he was he was brilliant for Scotland, in my opinion. Just to round off the, the votes era then, um, his final game was 1-1 away to Moldova. Uh, a few people that I've interviewed for this podcast um, have said that that is one of the most uh, toxic atmospheres they've experienced after a game in, the, in their life. Is that something that you remember as well? Well, it was the first time Gary and I played together, so it was a big, big day for us. And again, there's, there's a real bittersweet feeling about about that day and that night because you know I, I, I was playing with my brother Gary was at right back I think it was Andy Webster and I at centre half and we, we, we played the game and we did you know what Moldova were better than people thought and certainly going away to Moldova was not an easy game but 
we didn't win. People at this point were just were done with, with us as a team and we're done with Bertie. And so we were on the bus, uh, disappointed we never got the win, but proud to have played that game with my brother. And then, you know, uh, maybe it was Stuart McMillan, Omar come up the back of the bus and he's like, you know, there's some people at the airport. It's quite, it's quite, uh, it's quite toxic. Be ready, kind of thing, you know. And I can remember thinking, oh, okay, you know, we've seen some toxic atmospheres before. We were, you know, I played in the northeast. Guys played for Celtic Rangers. Like we, we kind of knew what that looked like. But I have to say, I was shocked when I got off the bus. They were lined either side, uh, basically the kind of tunnel, like a sort of alleyway towards the the, the, the airport check-in. And they were giving us some some heavy stick, which was kind of horrible, you know. It's you like you know when you play for when you play for your club, you play for the biggest clubs in the world. It's amazing. You play big games and people are watching. But when you play for your country, everybody's watching. Your friends, your aunts, your cousins. Your it, there is like that responsibility. It's like you're representing your country, and when you're playing the sport that everyone loves in our country, and so. You know, that's not lost in you. And so when you, you see the fans and their apathy and their disappointment and their hurling abuse at you and, and saying how rubbish you are and that, it's, it's a horrible feeling. And that was a toxic, toxic atmosphere. There was, you know, everybody that was part of that um, will remember that, I think, forever. It was it was pretty horrible. Did you, did you think that it was a natural time for folks' tenure to come to an end? I think there was no way back, and and I think that obviously that atmosphere at the airport and that everyone saw it. The, the the sort of board, the directors, whatever the selectors saw it as well. So I don't think there was any way back for Bertie at that point. And you know, like I say, it wasn't all Bertie's fault. Of course, players go out there and play, but you know, as a coach, you have to shoulder some responsibility as well. But um, I felt a little bit for Bertie because he was a bad guy, you know. He was he was trying mm. his best and he, he he meant well and you know he's a hard worker, but um, it, it ultimately never worked out and there was no way back. Walter Smith came in. What were your first impressions of Walter Smith as Scotland manager? I, I mean, in terms of polar opposites, Bertie Volts and, and Walter Smith, I imagine would be would fit that bill. Yeah, yeah. Talk about clarity and. Um, and understanding, you know, there was there was no doubt of that with Walter. You were very clear what he wanted in every sense. Uh, one of the, the best managers I've ever worked with, and again, only fleetingly through different caps and, and camps and stuff, but an amazing man, um, a true leader, a true um, example of how to manage people and how to, how to kind of be strong but also you know be understanding good coach just like a, a kind of uh, amalgamation of kind of everything that's good in a in a proper manager um, and we, we started off kind of in the wrong foot because I don't think I was in the early Walter Smith squads and I did an interview I was a young hungry mid-twenties guy and, and I think I said you know I was really disappointed that I wasn't in, I wondered why, you know, and I had a little bit of a go at him. And, and so the first time he called me in, he, he called me up. I'll never forget, I was in Newcastle Town Centre. It was the mid-afternoon and I picked up the phone. That's Walter Smith. Oh, hi, Walter, you know, and 
he, he first he started by saying, I heard what you said, da, 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 and I wasn't too happy. Just told me, put me right in my place, gave it to me. And, and, and again, that, that clarity is something that I take with me to this day. Just being honest and clear with people is the only way for me to, to move forward as a coach or as a guy, really, in, in football and in life. And Walter just kind of put me in my place. He didn't like it. I told him why. And again, I was strong enough to say, well, here's why I said it. Okay, well, it's water under the bridge now. We went, we went over it, and I want you to come to the next camp. Don't know where it was, but uh, he wanted me in the squad. And so, so like I say, it was a weird start, but then after that, total respect. Uh, loved working with Walter. Um, loved bumping into him. Bumped into him in Dubai once. Uh, he was there with his wife, and, and I was there. And I just loved spending time with him. He's a guy that I could talk to all day about football and... Um, and there's so much to learn off someone like him. So, um, I, I, you know, a brilliant, brilliant man and, and someone who uh, I'm, I'm really privileged that I got to work with. Great. And and he had a, a very popular backroom staff, Walter Smith, didn't he, with uh, McCoyston and Burns, who are, who are involved. I think the away trips especially will have been sort of laugh-a-minute stuff there. <laughs> every trip, every moment with the... It was like a, a trio, you know, because Walter does to make jokes, but he's a funny guy, you know, because he'll come out with one liner at the right time as well. But they two were just constantly winding each other up, winding other people up, keeping the atmosphere going, winding Walter up. Walter was coming back. It was just, it was an incredible atmosphere again. Back to that Craig Brown sort of era, you know, where, where there was a real spirit. Everyone wanted to be there. Everyone wanted to roll their sleeves up, we were, you know, we were Scottish again, we were like, we were proud about how we were going to play, we were, you know, we were we were back to our roots, and um, and, and Tommy Burns and Ali McCoy's played a, a huge part in that, they were, they were so important to Walter, um, and, oh, it was a laugh a minute, they were just, they were just great guys, you know, just, just amazing people as well, could, could be serious, when they needed to be serious, of course, you don't play where they played and coach where they coach without having that streak to you. But they were, um, they were, they were optimistic guys. They were positive people. They were guys that brought the best in you. They were guys that you didn't want to let down. You wanted to make sure that you, you, you made them feel proud. You know, you wanted to to get a pat on the back off one of the three guys. And when you did, you normally had uh, had deserved it you know which was which was great feeling uh, so yeah I love working with every one of them but 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 Tommy I miss him dearly and and, and Koist I still keep in touch with and, uh, really important people in, in my life. I suppose you can speak from experience about this now is that one of the most important roles as an assistant manager of a national team sort of to to be a go-between for the players and to be their friend um, and that link between the manager and them? Definitely, it's it's very important. It's very important uh, within an international setup where you only have these limited touch points with them as well, you know. So you really have to cultivate the relationships and keep. And, and nowadays, we we I think less was done then, but we do more now to kind of keep the touch points up throughout the seasons. You know, these kids turn up every couple of months and everything's back to normal. So I keep in touch with, you know, I'm predominantly a defensive coach with the national team. So my responsibility is my defensive unit. I'll speak to the guys, I'll watch their games, I'll clip some stuff and, and go through it with them. The club stuff I'm talking about, just to kind of 
keep up their touch points and let them know that I care and that I'm watching. And and the guys, Walter and, uh, sorry, Tommy and Koist, they were, were kind of the start of that. You know, they were, you felt like they had their back. And at the end of the day, they also have to have the manager's back. So it's it's a hard role to play. You know, you're, you're, you're in between, you're, you're making big decisions on, on people that you have relationships with because, you know, you're there with 23 guys and everyone wants to play. And you can only suggest, you know, Eleven players to go out there, so um, it's tough. It's tough, but I always go back to stuff I learned through Tommy Craig, through Walter Smith, uh, through different people that I've worked with. Who just be honest, just look people mm-hmm. in the eye and be honest. People want honesty, even if it's tough. People want you just to be honest, so don't sugarcoat it. Yeah. And uh, I often find that that you, like I said, everyone respects that that uh, directness from yeah. you'd like rather rather know where you stand and be able to deal with with certainty rather than wondering about um, why you're not getting picked or why you're not getting yeah. played that sort of thing yeah yeah try and give them clear um, you know clear messages and clear things to work on and you know because at the end of the day you want everyone to get better you know and so if you're clear with why they're not playing and how they can get better, then it's up to them to go away and do that. And I, and I always say, I'm here. If you need my help, I'm here. So you can always ask me for help and I'll go above and beyond to, to, to give you whatever I can uh, to, to make you a better player. So, um, you know, I, I, I sort of learned that for guys like Tommy and, and Koiste. And, you know, as football players, we all have deficiencies and we all have strengths, we all have weaknesses. It's... It's it's about not being afraid of like confronting their weaknesses, you know, and 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 heading them, you know, uh, tackling them, you know, head on, and and sort of um, and, and and trying to get better, you know, and and you need support for that. So you know, I think the earlier stages in my career I was always trying to like hide that, and I didn't know what to talk about it, and I didn't want people to kind of bring it up. And then as I got older, I'm like, okay, here's what I'm good at, here's what I'm not good at. And I'm very comfortable in my own skin. Now, I try and help young guys now get to that reality earlier. Because once you get to that, you become much tougher, much mentally stronger, and, and you become a player who's ready to grow. Uh, so so that's my aim whenever I work with, with some of these younger guys within the national team. Now, one thing that I have said to a few players I've interviewed uh, for this in the past um, and you, you said at the beginning, uh, on an individual basis, you don't worry about pressure. Occasions don't get to you. But I feel that when the expectation is on Scotland as a country, we struggle to to perform and deal with it, um, especially at home. Now, an example of this, I suppose, under Walter Smith would be getting beat by Belarus at Handen when we needed to win to keep up the hopes for 2006. And then they beat us 1-0. And then... Three or four days later, went to Slovenia um, and ran over the top of them. Three nothing. Uh, three great goals from Hartley, McFadden, and Fletcher. I think you played in that game. Yeah. Um, so, is it the case collectively for Scotland? Do you feel that when there is no pressure or expectation, then the shackles are off? Um, I can only honestly answer. You know what I. What I feel, what I've, um, you know, experienced from it, and I don't, I don't think that that's there. No, I don't. I, I think that 
how do I how do I explain it? It's it's a t- it's a tough one because it just kind of like Belarus and Moldova and these guys they're, they're good teams. They are good teams. They're they're better than you think. And if you're just off in your day, you know you can you can get turned over. And so maybe it's a mental thing. Maybe it's a preparation thing. I really don't think it's a it's a home anxiety thing. I honestly don't. I think that it's more. We, we just let ourselves down at bad moments. And, and if you look back at the last 50 years, we can see so many examples of Scotland doing that same thing. So is it something in our mentality as a, as a, you know, as a group of people or, or is it a football thing? I, I really don't know. I don't know how to answer it. I just know that I never really felt it. You know, like, you know, when I went, when we played in Norway and, Sure, we'll talk about it in a minute. And it was a big game. We needed to win. We needed to get a result, and we never we got turned over. I never felt like severe anxiety going into that game. I was confident. I thought we could go and win, and everything was great. And then the game starts, and it doesn't go the way that you hope, and you know things go wrong, and we we didn't play well. We deserve to lose, and and so I don't think that to me anxiety comes when you know the lead up to the game is like the whole week's tense and things are not going right and you're on the bus and deep down you're going like, Oof, I don't know how this is going to go the day. And I never felt that. I never felt that in okay. any of the games. So I, I think that um, it's more just when the game starts, like someone's missing. And uh, and, and maybe it's, maybe it is the mental side of the game, the whole prep of the week. Maybe it's, it's kind of being clear on, on what, what our kind of downfalls are. And when we can sometimes let ourselves down and, and be maybe more precise about what's coming um, rather than just kind of getting to Saturday and then it goes wrong and trying to have a post-mortem after it, uh, I think maybe we can be a bit more proactive in the lead-up to it. But I don't. I honestly don't feel it's a, 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 an anxiety or an expectation thing. I think it's just us, we let ourselves down at the worst possible moments. Uh, where were you when your brother scored the winner against France? In the crowd. I was there. Ah. I was at the game. I was with my mum, my dad. Uh, I think my sister might have been there, but my, my mate Malky was with me, Stuart Malcolm, who's now head coach and manager of Forfa. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and me and Malks were in the stand. And um, I think it was Malks. Maybe it was the My memory's shocking. I had of too many <laughs> balls. But anyway, I was there with one of my mates and uh, and it was amazing. He put it in, in the back of the net and we held on and, you know, we had a great night after that. It was just, it was just phenomenal. Like to, well, for us to beat France like that and then for, for obviously for my brother to score the goal which was the, one of the best feelings that I've ever been involved with. I wasn't actually on the pitch myself. It was just... Uh, I was so proud of him. It was incredible. Were you were you gutted to see Walter Smith leave shortly after that? Yeah, I was gutted because I think Walter was was the guy for us. I think he could have really kept taking us forward. Uh, he got offered, in my opinion, the only job he would have left for. You know, so that was that was a bit tough. I don't I don't think he entirely wanted to leave. I think that, like I said, he just couldn't see Notre Rangers and. And that was that was it. So very disappointing, very disappointing for for me, and I'm sure a lot of other people because we were very comfortable with Walter and the backroom staff that that you had mentioned earlier that you had working with him. You played in a couple of friendlies against USA and and, and Switzerland, but 
During your time at Burnley, which was 2007, 8, 9, roughly, yeah. I believe, um, yeah. you captained them to promotion to the Premier League, but you were barely capped at that point at all. Why? The honest answer is I, I actually can't remember. I don't know why. Um, I was playing the best football in my career. I was um, I was fit as a fiddle. I was playing regularly. I was, you know... I was captain. I was I was playing some good stuff. Um, yeah, I think you need to ask the the managers why. You know, I, I felt good and I was. I don't know how many squads I was in, but of, I, I would guess thirty plus. I felt like I was there a lot, and I didn't get. You know, I got twelve caps. So um, so that was disappointing because uh, I was. You know, I always turned up. I was always fit. I was always there. And I wasn't getting caps, so uh, it was it was frustrating. It was hard. I don't know why. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if there was someone missing in my game, or people didn't think that translated to international football, or or uh, just maybe it was just uh, wrong time. Uh, maybe some other guys were playing better. I, I do feel playing in England hindered me a little bit. I think if I'd played in Scotland, I would have got more caps. Um, I think guys were getting caps ahead of me that, that weren't as good a player as me uh, but they were in Scotland and they were in the public eye a bit more so you know I'm, uh, honestly I've got no regrets in life and I'm not bitter about it in the slightest but I, I am disappointed I'd love to have got more caps uh, but these things happen and, and no regrets don't, don't look back I only think fondly of Every experience, even you know, walking to that through that airport in Moldova and losing against Norway. Honestly, I only have positive thoughts about all these things. It's like I was there and I experienced it, and I was on that field. And there's millions of people that wish that they were. And so I only think positively of even the negative times in my career because there's very few people that are fortunate enough to experience it. I suppose though, back. Back then, what would that have been 12, 13 years ago now that Scotland were more competitive at centre-half than we are at the moment? The, the names that I've jotted down that were ahead of you in the pecking order were your brother Gary, David Weir, Steve McManus, and then Kirk Broadfoot started getting picked as well, but he was playing for Rangers at the time. Do, do you think that maybe that though there was a, a bit of short-sightedness um, or a reluctance in Scotland to admit how strong the second tier of English football was and is. Yeah, probably. Uh, back then, I think less so now. I think we all recognise the Championships, one of the best leagues in, in Europe, um, in my opinion, very much stronger than, than the Scottish Premier League. Um, but, yeah, yeah, it was... It probably wasn't as recognised back then, you know, it probably wasn't as, as respected, but it's a tough league to play in. It's there's some good players in it. It's grueling. It's you, you need to have a little bit of everything to be to be good in the championship. And I was obviously a pretty successful player in that league. So yeah, I think that. I mean, you play for Celtic or Rangers, you're immediately like, you know, going to get selected. We we know that. Um, and I don't think that. I don't think that I was miles behind any of the guys. I, I think I was as good, if not better, than some of them. But like I said, it's everyone's opinion. This is, it's, I, I'm on the other side now. I know how hard it is to pick <laughs> a squad. 
and how hard it is to pick a team. It's preferences, you know, and, and you're in these rooms and maybe there was somebody arguing for me and, you know, unfortunately just never got the nod. But, you know, you have these these discussions and these technical meetings and rooms and decisions are made that have a big impact on people's lives. And it's not lost on me, you know, you're making these decisions and, and you need to take a minute to think what it does to people, but you can only pick a living this way. It's the toughest game in the world and you need to be so mentally strong to just cope with it and move forward. And, and at the end of the day, like I, I was having a great time at Burnley. I was playing great football and maybe it was Scotland's loss that they never picked me or maybe I wasn't as good as the other guys. I don't think about it too often. I, I, I am disappointed, but I, I have no regret. I was happy at that time in my life playing the football I was playing and, uh, and it was unfortunate that it never translated to more international caps. Do you remember any public uh, opinion in your favour at that point? Because, for example, Liam Cooper, I suppose, would be the equivalent these days. He's captaining Leeds to what looks like promotion, what you did back in 2008 with Burnley. Do you remember yeah. any clamour for you to be playing more for Scotland? Um, no, not really. Um, I, can't, I can't even remember back, honestly. To be honest, I can't remember like why. I, I, there was certainly like, it wasn't like affecting me like on a weekly basis that I was the play for Scotland. You know, I was I was playing great for Burnley and I was totally focused on what I felt was possible to achieve there. So uh yeah, like that's the thing, you know, you're sort of forgotten about in England, especially if you're not in the top league and you know, Burnley weren't a fashionable club. It wasn't like everybody wanted to know what was going on at Burnley. So I was kinda like out of sight, out of mind a little bit with the press. Um and Whatever people want to say, the, the press have an impact on how a manager thinks about about the team and what what's coming up. So um, yeah, I, I must get a, a lot of caps in, unfortunately, um, because probably I was at an unfashionable club in the championship. So are you meaning that I suppose if if a particular paper or radio station or such fancy a player, a, a manager can be quite easily persuaded and led by that. Um, I think he's influenced by it. I wouldn't say led by it, but it's it's only natural unless you don't pick up the paper or put on Sky Sports News these days. You know, you're going to be you're going to be influenced by it because it's going to jog your memory about this player, and you're going to do a, you know, if you're a a a good coach, you're going to go and have a look at the footage, and you're going to analyse it. You're going to go and watch a game live uh, normal times, and and you know the the, the kind of public opinion can get you to that point more than if uh, if you're kind of playing someone else and nobody's talking about you. Now, like, the work that we do with guys that have a Canadian mother and are playing in leagues all over the world and we know everything about everybody here in North America, you know, we're so thorough about what her pool is. I'm sure it's the same for Scotland. Now, Steve Clark's a guy I've worked with in the past, brilliant manager, thorough. He will know everybody who's can play for Scotland, who's, you know, playing in Scotland, you'll know everything about it. So I'm not suggesting for a minute that that's still happening. But back then it was a little bit different. And people would have knew about me, but maybe I just wasn't front and centre enough that they felt I should be selected. Or probably they thought that Davy Weir, Steve McManus and Gary Colwell and were better than me. And like I say, it's cool. Like it's not I'm no better about it. I, I don't want this to come across in any way like I am. But I am disappointed because I wanted the most 
out of my career and I wanted more caps in 12. I thought that when I played that first game in Poland that, you know, I, I, everyone wants to get to 50 caps. I wanted to get to 50 caps and I thought that was possible that day, but it just wasn't meant to be for many different reasons. You said that you you like clarity from a manager. Did McLeish uh, and subsequently Burley ever uh, provide you with that, let you know where you stood? No, McLeish and I um, very rarely talked. I was in Alex's first squad um, and then I don't think I was in anymore. Maybe I was in what I don't. I honestly don't think I was in another squad with Alec McLeish. That was really disappointing. Um, and Alec and I have known each other for years, played against each other, had had great chats and stuff like that. You know, so we're we're cool. There's there's no like there's no fallout or anything there. But he never picked me. He just never felt I was right. Um, and then George kind of had me in, and he had me out and. There was points where I was involved with George and then others when I was there. Um, you know, the injury that I received in that, that Norway game uh, in 2009 cost me six or eight weeks of a Premier League season because it was a game that happened before there was any football started in, in England. And I played in, in Norway midweek and I missed the start of a Premier League season with my club the first time we were in the Premier League in 30 odd years. So, you know, I, I sacrificed. I, I I did anything to play. I wasn't hundred percent going into that, that camp, but I'd do anything to play for my country. So um yeah, I don't I don't know I don't know what happened there with with Alec McLeish and George Burley, but you know, it's a game of opinions and they felt that I wasn't the, the right guy. From the moment Burley came in, you went eighteen months without being picked for a Scotland squad and then you were put in with Gary. Uh, sorry, without a Scotland cap, then you were put in with Gary uh, for Norway, Norway and Oslo. Um, how did that? How do you remember the preparation for that game and and you being partnered with your brother for the first time in a long time? Well, this is what I'm talking about. You know, I'd played a full year at Burnley where I was I was absolutely excellent, but then I played at a playoff final at Wembley in front of you know millions watching on TV and ninety thousand in the stadium, and my team were in the Premier League and everyone was talking about them and us I guess um, and and so he felt like he had to pick me you know and I don't know what changed in 18 months so public opinion sways you and it makes you think well maybe this is the guy and um, yeah so you know it was it was a tough night we went there with the best intentions and confident you know I, I think we had a decent team then and it, it just never worked out we, we had a poor game uh, like guys got sent off I got injured and and everything went wrong, you know. We didn't play well, and um, and that was that was tough because you know I knew I'd, I'd tore my stomach muscle, and I was I was out for like like I said six or eight weeks. Um, so you know you go there and you're kind of we were out of that qualifying campaign, and I'm missing the start of Premier League season, and it was a it was a tough time, tough point in my career. Was was John Carew playing that night? Can you remember? He was. He was brilliant. Carew was. Yeah. Carew gave us a tough time. But, I mean, he was a he was a terrific player. John Carew. He was a hard, hard player to play against. I was I was listening to a, a podcast with with Peter Crouch recently, and obviously with given his height and everything, he did quite a lot of defending from corners, and he uh, singled out Carew as the hardest player he's ever marked uh, in a he penalty was, box. He was an absolute beast. He was like, you know, he had a lovely touch, big jaw, and he knew where the goal was. I played against him in the Premier League as well with Villa, and he um, 
and he he like he was brilliant in the air. So he was like he was a, just a challenge. The full game, strong as an ox. So yeah, he was a, he was a tough guy to play, John, and um, and we never we never handled him well. Guys got booked early, and then guys got sent off, and I think they scored for the free kick that guys got sent off from, and it was just it was just a disaster game. Everything went wrong. We we never played well. Did Burley expect, um, I suppose, a close relationship between you to transfer onto the park? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think he he, he picked us because oh, I think he picked us because we probably felt we were the best too. I don't know if it was anything to do with the fact we were brothers, but obviously you've got that close relationship. You know, you you know each other's game. Um, we probably one of the best partnership because we were similar in in many ways. You know, we were one of the quickest players, and so we probably we probably never complimented each other tremendously well. So um, in hindsight, maybe it wasn't the best pairing, but I think we were the best two centre halves at the time that, that Scotland could have selected. And um, maybe if we had selected me more often in the 18 months before it, it might have went better or maybe just fate meant that it was going to be like that for the start I, I don't know I don't know these things and again I don't I don't spend a ton of time like worrying about it or going back thinking about it it was a bad night and it, and it happened and um, you know it cost me a lot it cost me more than just I would say the the the, the a massive part of my international career. It cost me like eight weeks starting the season with my club in the Premier League and leading my team out in the, the first game at home and the first game of the season against Stoke. And, and so, you know, I sacrificed a lot by trying to be there and be, be ready for my country that night. Did you, did you feel that when Craig Levine came in, he would be a better fit as Scotland manager? Uh, yeah, I did. I did. Uh, I think that that, that Bertie was was another one who was was we found it tough to kind of get the message over to the players. It was it was a little bit like Bertie in that sense. We were confused and he was he was kind of all over the place by by the end or by what I saw and just hearing for for different things for Gary. And so um, unfortunately George lost his job, um, but then Craig came in and I thought I thought Craig was going to be great. Um, he he was a guy who you know I was in and out that season so so I don't think Craig picked me at the start and then he did select me um, for a, for a game when I was at Wigan the next season and and I, you know what by that point I was at the point where I was like I'd been to so many camps and like I say that the last game that I played was tough. Uh, there was a lot of stick came after that and I was injured and I just felt like maybe it's just never going to happen for me in Scotland. And he selected me for a camp when I was at Wigan and Roberto phoned me up, Roberto Martinez, and he said, you know, Craig Brown wants you to go to Scotland. Uh, Craig Levine, sorry. Well, Craig Brown wants you to go away with, with Scotland. Uh, what do you think? And I'm like, you know what, Gaffer, like, I don't know if I'm going to go. Like I really was that bad. I, I was going to politely decline and say, you know, I, I just can't turn up and not play and got a young family. And I just was at that point where I, I, I'd, I'd sort of have had enough. And he said, I think you should go. I think you should uh, you should go. And, and I'm so grateful for Roberto for saying that because 
if he'd have went no bother, I probably wouldn't have went. I probably would have called Craig or let him know that I wasn't going. And anyway, I phoned Craig Levine up and I said, look, you know, I've been to a lot of camps. Uh, I don't know, you know, and, and I'll never forget it. He said, Stephen, I understand. He said, why don't I make a deal with you? He said, you're going to play on Wednesday night in, in Pataudry against Faroe Islands. He said, why don't I make a deal with you that I'll only pick you if you're going to play? And I said, brilliant. That's amazing, you know. And so that's the deal that we had. You know, I, I was in one, I was out one. I went back for my last one in, in Dublin where I played against Northern Ireland. I just The last two caps were the most comfortable I ever felt playing for Scotland. Just loved them. So really, the first and then the last two were amazing. I just, I had this arrangement with Craig. I love working with him. He was, he was another guy who was Walter Smith-esque. He was straight. He was clear. <laughs> we had that chat right at the start. That was our relationship. We were always honest with each other. And, and I've got total respect for him. And I love playing under him twice. It was just the, 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 the best couple of games that I had with Scotland. I felt older and relaxed. And I was like, I knew it was going to end, and I just kind of enjoyed it, you know. And uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I'm so pleased that Roberto had that chat with me before because I was I was on the fence about about going or no. Well, that clears that up then, because I was ready to ask you if you felt that the Pharaohs uh, game was a chance for you to rekindle your Scotland career. But I suppose if you had that chat, then you knew exactly where you stood, which is like you've been saying, what you appreciate as a player. Yeah, I knew where I stood, and you know, I and when I was heading in Pharaohs, you know, I did hope or thought I might get another 10, 12 caps. Didn't they know? You know, I wasn't thinking, oh, it's going to be one and done or anything like that. I thought that I, I just, I just liked having that that meeting with Craig, that, that chat where we were clear. Like I couldn't keep going away at thirty years old and and not playing. I, I, you know, I wanted to be clear that. He'd be better picking somebody young if that was uh, that was his intention, you know. And so, so we, we were uh, we were good with each other like that. I went there, my my, my game in Patoji, you know, I played with Danny Wilson. He got his first cap that night, and I loved kind of being alongside a, a young guy, a, you know, an up and coming lad who was who had great potential, and and uh, you know, played with Danny, and uh, and then the next one was uh, was great. We, we, um, at the Aviva Stadium, we played really well that night. MacArthur was there, who was my Wigan teammate. I think he scored. He was kind of start of his international career as well. So yeah, I was I was very appreciative of the games. They were just like brilliant, brilliant times to to be back there and to be um, to be getting that kind of last chance with Scotland was was special. I know that. That was quite an experimental squad in general, um, with Danny Wilson, David Goodwillie, Gary Kenneth, Paul Caddis, people starting to maybe get an opportunity to kick on from. Some did more than others, of course. Jamie Mackey actually had quite a few good years with Scotland. He was a good player. But was was it um, a bit disappointing to see Danny Wilson not fully kick on after a move to Liverpool? Um, because I know he's carved out a decent career and he's, he's doing well, but after such a big move early on, it never really took it to that next level, I would say. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't know why. I, I've, I've watched his career a bit from afar for a while. He's here in MLS for a little bit with Colorado Rapids, and I called a few of his games. And he's always a guy I thought had some great attributes. I just, I don't know why it never quite clicked for him. But great potential in that first game, and he was a guy that you thought would go in and get, get maybe fifty caps and. 
in some ways maybe it was a bit like bit like myself where you expected a longer Scotland career and it just doesn't work. You know, there's there's like there's been better players than us through the years who have got few caps, just never worked out for them. Real top, top players who were maybe at the same time as another brilliant player in that position or you know, it just never quite worked. They just never had their best games for Scotland, and and these things happen. Um, but for Danny, you know, I'm sure he would give a similar type of interview for me that he wished it was different, um, and he, he felt like he had kind of more to offer for Scotland than how it transpired. Yeah, my main memory of Danny Wilson as a Scotland player actually is being the the victim of that. Awful dive by the Czech Republic striker in the two-two yeah. game at Hamden. That that's yeah. that's still one that I probably am still struggling to get over these days. That was a, <laughs> a horrible end to a game. Um, yeah, never a penalty. Anyway, um, you're saying that the Northern Ireland match was um, another lovely one to be involved with, and I know you've got no regrets as far as Scotland is concerned. But it would have been nice to sign off against Brazil uh, if you'd been picked to play at the Emirates. Yeah, that would have been incredible because, you know, God, it doesn't get any better than playing against Brazil. And Emirates is probably one of my favourite stadiums in the world. It's just an amazing place to play. It's phenomenal. So uh, that would have been great. I think Gaz played that day. So it was getting to that point now where, like, you know, it was, it was Gary or me kind of thing, you know, and, and again, Craig and I had had, maybe I would have been in that squad. Maybe I should have had, hadn't had that chat with Craig. It would have been nice to be in that squad. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was, again, I watched on with pride and I wanted my country to win as always and my brother was playing and, you know, it was um, it was great to see it and I was, I, I honestly wasn't disappointed because, you know, when you make a stand like that and you say, right, you know, I kind of want to play and that's, that's my, you know, I drew the line in the sand, then... You can't then say you're disappointed because you're maybe not there and that. And I wasn't disappointed. I was like, I, I, I've been clear with Craig Levine and he, he knows me and I know him. And I, I'm very grateful that, that he understood that and he never took it the wrong way. And he was he was great with me. He's a guy that, you know, I, I still think I still think it's fantastic. My brother still speaks to him quite often and that. He's just a guy that you would call for advice because he's... He's he's got a bit of stick recently, but he's just brilliant, brilliant manager and a brilliant guy, smart guy, knows the game and someone who I'd pick up the phone at any point. I'm sure he'd he'd be there for me and, and would ask for advice for sure. Great, uh, a, a quick word then just before we we finish off on the current situation. Um, from a Scottish persuasion, um, how are things in the MLS with Johnny Russell, Lewis Morgan, I think Sam Nicholson still playing out there. Uh, anyone I'm missing or anyone you'd like to draw attention to? Um, I can't think. They three guys for sure. Johnny Russell is a terrific player. I, I love his game. I think he's really exciting. Casey, know how important he is for them. Smoking Kansas City, play him on the right and he comes inside, scores some great goals, plays that a well well uh, coached team. Um, and and he's one of the top players for me. Uh, Sam did really well last time I saw him play for Colorado at BMO Field in Toronto. Had a really strong game, and I was impressed with Sam because I hadn't seen a ton of Sam before. Um, so so I really liked uh, his game. And who's the other one again? You said that. Uh, Lewis Morgan signed for Miami. Lewis Morgan. I, I've only watched him on TV like everybody else. So you know he's obviously went to Miami and. 
he, he did okay in his first couple of games, but I think he's a guy that could be effective in MLS. It's going to be hard for him in, in Miami because they're always going to sign big attacking players. Yeah. So he's going to find it hard to, to stay in the 11. He's going to have to be at the top of his game. Um, but yeah, he's a guy that, that I think has the attributes to be good in MLS for sure as well. But but Johnny's Johnny's special. I, I hope he plays more for Scotland. I think that I think in some ways you have to be very specific about where you play him and what you're asking him to do. But I do think he's got the. I think he's got a bit of kind of Sean Maloney about him. Where if you're specific where you play him and what you ask for him, I think it could be really effective. Okay, interesting. Um, for for those um that are maybe quite still sceptical or, or cynical about MLS. How, how does the strength of the league um, compare to what we are used to over here and, and the environment that the Scottish boys are, are playing their trade in? Uh, it, it, it gets better rapidly. You know, it's like, it's the fastest growing league in the world, I think. You know, it's from when I came in 13, 2013 to now, it's like night and day. Um, so... It's a great place to play football. I, I think that the standards high. I think it still has a bit to go, but you know, most of the teams are are pretty competitive. Most of the the players are are talented. The academies are getting stronger, so you've got that youth element coming through now more than ever. And and you know, we're signing we're signing young. Predominantly South Americans. That seems to be the the, the, the one at the moment. The South Americans are uh, are the guys that are really uh, prospering at the moment. But there's some outstanding players that are then moving on to bigger and better things for you know huge sums of money. So it's 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 a top league. It's competitive. It's a summer league. So it's different. It's hard to compare it to the Championship or the SPFL. You know, I mean, I don't think you can compare it to the. the the English Premier League, it's another level, but to me, it's it's up there with the Championship and the SPFL for sure. You know, I think that I think some of the teams and some of the players would 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 definitely play within their leagues and, and at a high level for the best teams in their leagues. So for for people like uh, Lewis Morgan and Sam Nichols and I suppose Chris Cadden, if he eventually plays um, for his parent club, it's it's not a step down then. No. It's not a step down at all. Not at all. It's uh, it's much better than it's than it than it was. Like, and it's 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 rapidly improving to the point where, you know, like I said, Lewis Morgan, maybe three or four years ago would have been you know in there and one of the top players. But I think that he'll need to play well to keep his place within that team. You know, uh, like Johnny's a big player for Sporting Kansas City, but. They just signed uh, a Mexican called Alan Pulido, a Mexican international. Oh, from Chivas. Yeah, seven or eight million. Like top top player could have went to a lot of big big places throughout Europe and the world, and he went to Kansas City. So you know, you could say that Johnny Russell's not even the best player on his team. You know, so this is a kind of level that that I think it's it's becoming, and and it's got a long way to go. And I I don't see it like slowing down. I think it is going to keep getting better. Salary cap's going to go up. More money's going to be spent on transfers, and uh, and more people are going to want to come to North America to 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 live and to play football because some of these stadiums that are going up thirty forty thousand. Atlanta's getting you know sixty or seventy thousand some games. It's it's a pretty special place to play at the moment and and growing rapidly. 
uh, you mentioned earlier in the podcast that you worked with Steve Clark in the past. I didn't realise that. When would that have been? I worked with Steve at Newcastle. He was Rude Hewlett's uh, assistant manager. Okay. So I worked with him a long time ago when I was young, just first coming through there. And uh, yeah, he was, um, he was he was a good coach. He was a guy who you know uh, had some great ideas in the game. And then uh, and then I played against his West Ham team once and had a good chat with him. And then so I kind of kept in touch with Steve throughout the years at different points. And um, great deal of respect for him. I think he's a a terrific manager. I think he's going to be great for Scotland. See, fits the the profile of what you would like to see uh, as a Scotland manager. Yeah, he was the the outstanding choice for me. I was kind of disappointed with how it worked for Gordon. I thought Gordon would have would have uh, would have worked it better. But um, but I think that Steve's a guy that can take it on. I hope that he gets enough time to build the right team spirit culture that we talked about earlier and. Um, and establish the best eleven for him, the best way of playing, and um, and I think that you know you see some of the guys that we've got. We talked about a few of them today: Andy Robertson, Johnny Russell, and some quality players. McGinn would come into that as well. That can really take us forward. I think. If you if you look at the a potential midfield three for Scotland in I don't know two or three years could be McTominay, Gilmore, and McGinn, which is a it's a major tournament midfield. Yeah, yeah. Like McGinn was brilliant till his injury, and he's been consistent for a while now. So hopefully he can get back up and running. Uh, but he's on the radar of some of the bigger teams, if we, we believe the reports. Gilmore's just starting his career, so let's not put too much pressure on the lad. But he looks really, really special. You know, when you're getting picked at Chelsea above some of the names that are there, and you have the trust of a guy like Frank Lampard, yeah, there's something different about you. So. I hope that can translate into um, Scotland colours and I hope that we can respect what he's good at, you know, because I think like Fletch, for example, I had him on my podcast recently and great guy Fletch and chatting about it and I think the expectation on what we, we expected Fletch to do at times, Darren Fletcher, was like way too much, you know, mm-hmm. and so like let's just let guys like Billy Gilmore just be himself and play to his style, let's not expect him to score goals and Mm-hmm. play like number 10, you know, that's not what he is, so uh, as long as we can get enough of the Andy Robertsons, the Billy Gilmores, the John McGinn's, uh, then I think we can just be comfortable in like what we are and, and how we play and, and create that team spirit and hopefully have that one special attacking guy, maybe it's a Johnny Russell, maybe it's somebody else who's like the, the real difference maker, you know, rather than expecting Andy Robertson to be a difference maker mm-hmm. to let back, like you know, we need to we need to be realistic in, in what the guys can do and, and not get on their backs and make it to a point where they're actually, you know, they feel like they feel sort of stressed or or reluctant to kind of go with Scotland because we're heaping too much pressure on them. Just respect what they're good at and what they do well. I would think that if Clark is the right man, I don't think we're that far off from having a a team that can really go and make a good goal at qualifying and, and succeed this time. I think we are lacking a consistent goal scorer. We probably need a, a, a more experienced centre-half or two um, to come in. But if you look throughout the team, we've got good wingers, Forrest, Fraser, Johnny Russell, centre-mid is stacked. We've got decent wing-backs, goalie. Um, we're strong just now. And then you've got people like Liam Kelly and McCrory coming through that are ready to take the gloves. I think there are only one or two positions that need solidified. 
Yeah, I'm with you, and it's it's always the two most important positions. It's always the position that we've we've kind of struggled with that that dominant. Everyone wants it. Everyone wants that dominant centre half and that goal scorer. Like all the world, that's that's what we talk about. And when we think about you know the best teams in the world, that's what they've got, isn't they? You know, Van Dijk and Salah or Mane or both. You know, and then you've got you know you've you've got the guys who who can just are that presence at the back that that, that kind of make every everybody else play better. So we need that. Maybe one of the young guys can develop into that. Uh, I don't know. I, I think we've got some promising players, uh, especially at the back. Um, the lad at Aberdeen is it is it Sutter at Aberdeen? Uh, McKenna's at Aberdeen. Yeah. Sutter's with Hearts, yeah. And yeah, we had a few in the Scottish Premiership this season have done okay. Declan Gallagher at Motherwell was capped. Uh, Findlay at Kilmarnock's a decent player. Yeah. I just hope that they can take the next step in their career. Well, exactly, and that, and again, they need to focus on going finding that next step, that that higher level. You know, we we talk about it all the time in Canada. We 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 tier them, so we we tier the leagues, and you know, we need more like tier one guys. Once, like the 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 stats tell us that until we've got like you know four or five guys playing in tier one, tier one's the best five leagues in the world. We're going to struggle to qualify because Mexico have got that, and the USA have got that. So we've got to get the Alfonso Davies, Jonathan David's probably going to move to Bundesliga, guys playing in Belgium for us. We've got to get the guys into one of the top five leagues in the world. It's the same as Scotland. When we've got Gilmore, we've got Robertson, we've got McGinn, we've got whoever, whoever, like what, five, six, seven of the guys playing in, in England or Germany or Italy or Spain, then we're going to be ready and we're going to be back at a major tournament, I think. Brilliant. Stephen, this has been excellent. A wee bit longer than I, I promised you at the beginning, but it was a really interesting chat, so thanks for lending your time. Thanks, Andrew. Pleasure. Sports Social Podcast Network.